Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, take this word we have heard, this parable of the vineyard and all of its strangeness, and make it to be planted deep in our hearts. Make it to bring forth salvation in us, for it is the word of Christ Himself. Enable it to grow in us, and enable us to grow with it, that we would always be changed, that we would always be drawn near to You, Lord, as You have drawn near to us. And so guide us this day. Help us to walk this path You have placed us on. Help us to rejoice in the work You have given us to do. And help us to rejoice as we see that work accomplish Your purpose. As You are made known. And many are changed by Your being made known. So help us, O Lord, to always rejoice at You being known amongst all people. All of this we ask through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And much cattle. I love the ending of the book of Jonah. Because that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And much cattle. Shouldn't you be concerned, Jonah? For there are 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left. And also, much cattle. It reminds us of the Lord's mercy in that moment. That His mercy is not only toward humanity, His mercy is for all of creation itself. For all of creation is under the curse of God. In the fall of man, all of creation came to be under that curse, to be groaning because of the cursing of man. Because man was set over the earth to care for it and to tend it, to watch over it and protect it, to cause it to bring forth fruit through his labor, to care for the animals and to tend to them, to make sure that they had what they needed. And so in the fall, all of that became hindered. That work was damaged. And so God's desire for recreation includes even the animal kingdom, even the bugs and the creatures of this world. All of it is part of God's good and glorious creation. He desires its salvation, its redemption, its renewal. But Jonah was angry about a plant that died. In fact, he wasn't just angry about that plant that died. He was angry that God was going to save the people of Nineveh. He was angry that they repented of their sins. He was angry that they were getting a place in the people of Israel by being Gentiles who believed Yahweh's promises. God asked him, do you do well to be angry? It's a good question that we should be confronted with every day. Do we do well to be angry? Do we do well to be frustrated as we see God working and Him doing things that we don't necessarily expect? Are we angered? Are we frustrated that we see Him working in others and not in us in some special way? Do we see Him bringing salvation through the ministries of others and through their labor and their work? 
But we don't see as much of that happening. For me, am I angry? Am I jealous? Am I envious? Or do I step back and say, give God glory. Give the Lord the glory due His holy name. For He is one who is calling forth salvation. He is the one who lifts up those who fall. He is the one who will bring salvation to the ends of the earth. For He is merciful, full of steadfast love and loving kindness, pouring compassion upon those who turn to Him, who trust in Him. And that is how His kingdom works. His kingdom is one of grace and mercy. It is one in which a master would go out and hire people, as Jesus says. It is one in which a master goes out and calls people to come and labor in his vineyard, to come and join him in the work that he has to do. And it's not just a one-time calling and then it's done and over with, but it is a continual, constant call crying out to those who have not heard yet that there is work, that there is labor, that there is things to be done, that there is a place for you in the kingdom to live and work for the Lord. So come and rejoice that He has found you. Come and rejoice that He is bringing mercy upon you and calling you to be His own. For that's what our Gospel passage points us to. That's what this Old Testament passage points us to is that God is merciful and He is calling all kinds of people into His kingdom to do the work that He gives them to do. And that should bring us joy. Because God's grace is free for all. That that's how God's kingdom works. That He pours His grace out upon all. And that they are called to know Jesus Christ. And that that grace comes through Jesus Christ Himself. And that in the kingdom it is all free. And because His grace is free, we, when we come into the kingdom, are free to do exactly what God has called us to do. We are free to do our vocations. We are free to fulfill our callings. We are given freedom from fear of not having the kingdom. The fear of being kicked out of the kingdom. The fear of not receiving the kingdom is taken away in Christ. Because we're all equal in Christ. We are equal recipients of the grace of salvation and the redemption that comes to us in Christ. And so we are free in every way to serve God now. We are free to follow Him and to do what He calls us to do. And so we have God's mercy by pouring out His kingdom, and we have the freedom that comes from that mercy. And it all comes together in our Gospel passage today, hearing some from Jonah there of how Jonah responded to God's free grace. Now we're going to hear how these vineyard workers responded to God's free grace, to the Master's kindness and His goodness and His generosity. For Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. That is a picture of the kingdom. But I want us to step back and hear a little bit of the context. That right before Jesus tells this parable, you have the story of the rich young man who came and said, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And he tells him, well, you've done, if you've done everything you claim to have done, then go and sell everything. And give it to the poor. And then, come and follow me. And that man left sad because he had much possessions. And Jesus reminds his disciples and says, It is with difficulty that the rich will enter the kingdom. 
And the disciples are like, well, we gave up everything for you, Lord. Who can be saved? And he's like, well, with man it's impossible, but with God it is possible. And that's when Peter says, we've left everything. So that's good, right? We've given up everything. And Jesus says, yes, you have. And you will sit on twelve thrones. You will judge all the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So here, before we even enter into this parable, Jesus has already said this enigmatic phrase that the first will be last and the last first. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And He's reminding His disciples as He has just told them of the beauty of the work that they are going to do in the kingdom that they will be sitting on thrones of judgment. He then turns and tells them a parable about a master calling laborers to himself, agreeing to what they're going to receive in light of their work. And then that master going out and calling others throughout the day and saying, I will do what is right. At the third and the sixth and the ninth hours, he calls in other laborers after this initial batch of laborers have come in. And we don't know why he keeps calling people. Maybe there's more work that needs to be done than he realized, or maybe there's bad weather coming and they want to get all the harvest in before that weather comes and damages the crop. Or maybe he's just wanting people to work. He sees people idling around and not doing anything, and he says they need to work. Idle hands are a bad thing, and so come in and work my vineyard, and I will pay you what is right and appropriate for your labor. But then even at the eleventh hour, he goes out, And he calls the greatest idlers of all, those who have been lazing around all day. We don't know why they're still there in the marketplace. They're just simply waiting. And all they had to say is when it's like when he's asked them, why are you still here? They're like, because no one hired us. Did y'all not show up in time? Have y'all not been around all day? Where have you been? Because I've been hiring people all day. But he doesn't say that to them. Instead he says, well, come and work. Come to my vineyard and, and work. And so they do. They go and work as well with everyone else. It makes you wonder what these first workers are thinking. They see all these other workers coming and coming and coming in and maybe they're thinking, wow, there's a lot of work still to be done if he keeps bringing people in. Even at the last hour, he brought in more workers. Wow, there's a lot to get done. And it's not all up to us, maybe they think. That's good to know that this master is smart enough to see that his initial hiring of people was not enough and he goes out and gets more instead of being upset that we don't get the work done. He's a sharp master. He's a smart master. He's doing what is good for us and for himself. That we're not being overworked because he sends in more laborers and he's getting the work done that he needs to be done and is not frustrated at our inability to get it all done. So the work wraps up that day. And he has his foreman call the workers in so that they can be paid. But he says, start with the last. We'll pay the last workers first, and then the first workers will be paid last. And so those first workers get a denarius. They get a full day's wages for one hour of work. That denarius was a full day's wage. If you work 12 hours at $10 an hour, that'd be $120 for that day. So imagine Denarius is probably maybe like 120 bucks, and here they did one hour of work and they got paid 120 dollars. 
And then all the other workers that came later in the day, they all get paid the same as well. Everyone's getting paid a full day's labor. And so these early workers are sitting there thinking, if he's paying everyone else a full day's wage for only doing a little bit of work, for only half a day of work, for only a third of a day of work, for only one hour of work, he's paying him a full day. What's he going to do for us who responded immediately, who were there at the beginning of the day, who heard his cry, who heard his call? What's he going to give to us? And he gives him a denarius. It seems like a letdown in the story. That here, the master is caring for all these people who didn't work all day. And then those who did work all day, he just pays them the same. He pays them one day's wages. And of course, these guys get upset. They're like, how can you pay everyone else the same as us? You've made the people who only work one hour equal to us, Master. That's not right. That's wrong. That is unfair. We have borne the burden of the day. They're mad and they're frustrated. And on one hand, rightly so, if this was a literal work situation, yeah, there would be serious problems. This is not how you run a business. <coughs> you don't run an operation hiring people at the last minute and paying them the same as everyone else who's worked all day. You don't hire someone at the end of the year and pay them the same as the people who worked all year. That's not how it works in this fallen world. There are distinctions. There are inequalities. There are some who get paid better and some who get paid less. Some who have grander jobs. Some who don't have as pretty of jobs. That is simply the way of the world in this world, on this side of the kingdom. Things are not equal. Things are not perfect. But this is not about this world. This is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. The work of God in our hearts. And so, it is perfectly fair for the Master to give a denarius to these individuals who worked all day. Who agreed to that, in fact. For that's what He says. Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you, didn't you agree to work for just a denarius? You agreed to one day of pay. You agreed to the going rate. I'm not offering you any less. I didn't say I'll give you three quarters of a denarius for a whole day's work. No, I said I will give you a denarius. And you said, that sounds great, boss. I'll do it. And what I love here, this word for friend, it's not. it sounds so nice. But oftentimes this word in the New Testament is used kind of in a little bit of a negative way. It's like, hey, buddy. Didn't, didn't we work this out already? Hey, pal, we talked about this. There's a little edge to this word friend. There's a little antagonism. There's a little frustration behind it. I didn't do anything wrong, pal. So quit arguing about this. There's some assertiveness to it. And he points out, we agreed to a denarius. It should be all good. But instead, they are frustrated. But the master says, take and... Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do that? Can't I choose to do with my wealth what I want to do? Or do you begrudge my generosity? 
And here we get to the nub of everything. The begrudging of God's generosity. Here in the kingdom, all are made equal. All receive salvation simply by believing in Jesus. Simply by coming and receiving this grace of God. Hearing the Word proclaimed. Being baptized. Receiving the Lord's Supper. Being prayed over and praying to God. All of these ways, grace is coming into our lives and changing us and renewing us and making us belong to Jesus. All of those work together to unite us to Christ. But the one who has heard from the very beginning of his life, who has salvation from the very get-go, who has walked the path of salvation always and forever, and the one who turns in the last day, to finally recognize who Jesus is, to finally recognize the salvation that is for Him, to finally recognize His brokenness and His fallenness, both of those people, the one who turns one day before He dies and the one who walks a hundred years with the Lord, they are equal in the kingdom. For they both receive salvation because of the work of Jesus. It is all gift. It is all glory. It is all kindness and mercy from the Father for all of us. But these workers at the beginning of the day are frustrated that others got what they got. Just like Jonah is frustrated that the Ninevites get what he gets. He's mad that they don't get destroyed by God for all of their sin and all of their wickedness. But they've repented. They heard the call that in 40 days Nineveh would be no more. And the king and all the people repented and sackcloth and ashes and called for a fast. And called for Jonah to tell them what to do. Jonah's preaching was but a few words. But yet it was powerful enough to convert a whole city. He walked through that city just preaching those same words over and over, it sounds like, from the way the text is written. He just had that simple message of Nineveh's going to be destroyed. He didn't even say, Nineveh's going to be destroyed unless you repent. He just said, Nineveh's going to get destroyed. Nineveh will be destroyed. Nineveh will be overturned. And the people cry out for help. But likewise, Jonah begrudges God's goodness. He begrudges God's generosity. What I love about this phrase is the literal rendering of this, do you begrudge me for my generosity, is a phrase that doesn't make much sense in English, but I still love it. It's simply, do you have an evil eye because I am good? Do you have an evil eye? Is your eye evil because of my goodness? It's a weird Hebrew idiom, and most English translations translate it the way the ESV does because it's, it's getting at that point, that evil eye, to begrudge someone for their goodness, that you're giving someone the evil eye. It's when you find fault with someone regarding what he has done. Why, though, does one find fault with what someone else has done? What's that motivation there? The evil eye is the reason that looking sideways at someone, that not trusting them, that not believing that they are doing what is truly good, that they are doing what is good for you. But the evil eye looks, and it's an eye that sees what the other has. And it wants what the other has. It wants to do what the other is doing. And another word for wanting what someone else has is envy. That these first day workers, these first hour workers who have worked all 12 hours, they have become envious of the Master. They have seen what the Master has, that He has a good eye. 
For Proverbs describes the one with a good eye as one who holds his wealth lightly and shares his bread with the poor. The one with a good eye doesn't look at what others has, but looks at how he can help others in need. He holds his possessions lightly. He holds his abilities lightly and spreads them abroad in order to help and lift up others. And it's the opposite of the one who will cling to what one has and selfishly keep it and hold on to it and want that for the sake of wanting it. The evil eye is that envious person who rejects someone because that person has something that the envious person wants. Again, that is where these poor first hour workers are. They are begrudging and envious of the Master, seeing Him give to those they deem as not deserving and unworthy of a day's wages. They want more. They're expecting more. They think they deserve more. And Jesus is telling them that's not how it works. In the kingdom, I give to those I desire to give to. I have promised salvation to all those who come and work in my vineyard, who come and dwell in my presence. Salvation is for all who come, no matter what time of day, no matter how early or how late. My salvation is for all who come and rest from their labors. And because we can come and be in that kingdom without envy, without jealousy, that we can come and rest as equal with everyone else, that we are all placed on equal footing in the kingdom, that everything we do has value. These workers have forgotten that the work that they did still had great value to the Master. It had beautiful and wonderful value, but they were not free to enjoy the work that they did for the Master like the others because they were jealous and they were called to release that jealousy just as the disciples could run the risk of being jealous of seeing all these others flood into the kingdom and seeing them reaping the benefits that they have of salvation and the work of the Holy Spirit, of the presence of Christ in their hearts and their minds. And that could be easy to become jealous, to become envious, and to become frustrated at what God is doing and to lose out on the work that He is doing. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to know our freedom in the kingdom. He wants us to know that all of our labor has value to Him. That He is receiving our labor as His own and He is redeeming it. He is purifying it. He is making it worthwhile that whatever our vocation, whatever our calling, whatever our work and our labor is, in Christ and in the kingdom, it is redeemed and purified and made holy before the Lord. And it is used by Him to accomplish His purposes. Even if we don't see the end goal of those purposes, He is at work in our work. He is at work in our labor because we are in His kingdom. And because we have the freedom of His kingdom of receiving salvation and redemption, we need not worry whether our work is grand or glorious, whether we're seeing millions turn to Christ or not, whether we're Paul or Billy Graham, or some other great evangelist, or whether we are a Fortune 500 CEO, or merely a janitor who is taking care of a school and making sure it stays clean so that the students can come and do the work that they have to do without worrying about trash and dirtiness and uncleanliness. Our work is equal in the kingdom in the long run. 
Because God rejoices to call us into those labors that He has gifted us to do. He calls us at all times of the day to come and serve, to come and walk in the freedom of the Gospel and the freedom of the Kingdom. And thus, your labor and your work, whether a teacher or a student, a mortgage lender, or a doctor, a lawyer, a janitor, whether a mom or a dad, a brother or sister, a son or a daughter, a grandparent, all of those relationships are vocations that you have been gifted with where you can walk in the freedom of the kingdom, where you can walk before your Master with joy, knowing that He is receiving the love you extend to those you work with, to those you care about, to those you walk in friendship with. That as you extend your love and your service to them, you are serving the Master well because you are embracing the freedom He gives through the equality of the kingdom. That your labor is just as important as everyone else's because the Lord has called you into that labor. And so do not begrudge the Master this day. Do not begrudge Him because someone else has a different kind of labor from you. Someone else seems to get more glory than you. Someone else seems to want to do something that you can't do. It's easy to become jealous, especially as for me as a pastor, as I look out and I see church planters come in and plant churches that are just seem like they're so successful and growing so fast. It's easy to look and be like, why isn't that happening? But that's not what the Lord has called us to here. He has called them to one thing and He has called me to something else. And I must put to death my envious eye, my evil eye. I must pluck it out and cast it aside for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of seeing and knowing God working in me. I must hold loosely the labor God has given me and hold loosely the glory that might come from it. For that glory belongs to God alone. But I cling tightly to the kingdom. I cling tightly to Christ Himself and do the labor He has called me to. That Every week I pray, we pray, send us out to do the work You have given us to do. That when He empowers us through feeding us with Himself, Jesus gives us His body and His blood to strengthen us and to prepare us to go out and to do the labor He gives us. So go out this day and don't begrudge what others are called to do, but rejoice that your work is received into the kingdom. Rejoice that you have the freedom to do your labor before the Lord and that He has empowered you, that He has filled you with His Spirit and united you to Christ Himself and made you one with His kingdom and that your work will ripple out and affect others and draw them ever nearer to the kingdom. That your work, whatever that labor is, is a work in the kingdom and thus is work for growing the kingdom and work for honoring God. And thus will be known in the end more fully all that it has accomplished. And we can be happy in that. We can be blessed and that we can live a life without that evil eye knowing that we have freedom in the kingdom and are released to do the work that He has called us to do. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.